Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. We're going to talk to you about Jesus the servant, Jesus the servant. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed how preoccupied we are in this culture with seating, with seats, having premium seats? Have you ever flown on an airplane? How many of you know that's an environment where seating is very important? How many of you don't like that middle seat on an airplane? Because you know you got a stranger here and a stranger there, and a little stranger danger everywhere, and you kind of arm wrestling over the armrest. You know, spacing is kind of important in a seat. They make these airplanes, and I don't know if they have the average human body size in mind. You know, sometimes, and doing missions years ago, and as the missions pastor, I flew all over the world and scouting out the right seat, making sure that you were in the right place. Um, you know, the, inevitably, the guy in front of you is always going to recline his seat right back in your lap. Hello? Or, or more often than not, I'm seated in the back of the plane where the seat rest doesn't go back. How many ever been on the last row and you're kind of the guardian of the commode right next to you? Yeah, that's nice. Or you love it when the seat next to you is empty and as people are walking by, you're just praying, walk on by. And here comes that mama with that little baby crying, and she's sitting right next to you. Or, or the flight attendant. I, I, I've, I've had the, the rare opportunity of getting the bump up. How many ever gotten the bump up into business class? Yeah, that's kind of nice. You kind of get bumped up. and Oh, yes. But, but I've had the, the, the most of the time you're in the back, and the flight attendant kind of looks at you before the plane takes off. She kind of gives you that look. You know, there's a curtain that separates first class from the rest of the plane. She kind of gives you that look that says, if you would have worked a little bit harder, maybe I wouldn't have to do this. Here we go. Seating is important. What about in a vehicle if you're taking a trip? What, what is the first thing we call? I got what? I got shotgun. In other words, if I'm not going to drive... Put me at least up in the front. I've never heard anybody say, I got back seat in the middle with my feet on the hump. <laughs> Nobody calls that seat, do they? Or, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. My dad, my parents, when we were small, we had the station wagon, the massive station wagon. How many members of the station wagon days? Yeah, it had that wood paneling everywhere. And in the very back of the station wagon, they had these pop-up seats. How many old school remembers that? Yeah, and so mom and dad would put us in the very back. Then the seats faced the very back. So you're staring at the driver of the car behind you. And you take those vacations where you're on the road 10, 12 hours in the very back. As a kid on vacation, I had a very different experience than most people. The back of the car. Um, how many of you at your home, dad has his favorite chair? Daddy's chair. You don't occupy that seat. When daddy walks in the room, how many of you know you got to vacate that seat? 
because that now, doesn't have his name on it, but there's an unwritten rule. Now, it's the most comfortable chair in all the house, and it's positioned just so he can watch the game. It's daddy's chair. Uh, what about in, in, in during the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you have a, a, a kiddie table, and all the kids sit at, at the kiddie table. But do you remember the time when you graduated from the kids' table and you got to sit at the big table? And you're sitting in that chair with all the grown-ups. It just feels like a rite of passage. I've arrived. Something about seating in our culture. Even in our church. How many of you, you like your seats? You got your seat. Now, it doesn't necessarily have your name on it, but everybody, I mean, there's thousands of people here. Everybody should know that when you come to this service, that is your seat. Have you ever been troubled to find somebody in your seat? And you give them that smile. It's like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, good. Don't you know this is where I sit? And people sit in church, and we're creatures of habit. We do it. I mean, you like the certain section. That, that's kind of your section, and that's your seat. And some of you like the raised seating. How many like sitting in the raised seating? Yes, indeed, because you kind of have that straight-on view. I can look at him. I don't have to turn my head. Some of you sit in the raised seating, and you like that first row because you can set your coffee right, right there. It's got it all. I got my space, you know. Um, and I even thought about the game Musical Chairs. How many members that game? Oh, yeah. That game is all about seating. And unfortunately, the musical chairs is kind of symbolic of life because there's always more people than there are chairs. And sometimes in life, what we'll do is whatever we got to do, we'll bump the person next to us in order to get our chair. But the problem with musical chairs is we keep going around in circles because the seat never satisfies I want to talk to you out of Mark chapter 10. There's a passage where we're going to see the importance of seating. There are several disciples, and Jesus is having a conversation with 12 men, men that he believes in, men that he's chosen, men that will forever change the world. But I want you to see how God uses seating as an opportunity to teach them about serving. Read with me in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 33. Jesus says, listen. We're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They'll mock him. They'll spit on him. They'll flog him with a whip, and they'll even kill him. But after three days, somebody say three days. But after three days, he will rise again. Do you know what we've read in just a couple of verses is the gospel message? The gospel is all about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And here we see Jesus foretelling something. Aren't you glad that you may not know the future, but Jesus holds the very future that you don't know? He knows what's in front of you. He knows what's ahead of you. And we see Jesus speaking to his disciples. He wants them to know some things are about to happen. And here's how this whole thing's going down. I want you to know you've been with me for three years. You've had a, an amazing internship with me. I've taught you everything that I know, but here's what's in front of us. Here's what they're going to do to me. They're going to betray me. They'll arrest me. They'll beat me. They'll whip me. They'll mock me. They'll even kill me. But three days later, I'll rise again. 
Now look at the next verse. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Okay, now stop right there. Stop, stop, stop. Don't look at the next verse. Don't you dare look in your Bible at that next verse. Right here. One, two, three, eyes on me. Okay, is anybody a little bit fascinated that the disciples, James and John, after what Jesus just finished telling them, James and John have the audacity, have the nerve to say, Lord, can you do us a favor? Wait, wait, wait a second. James, John, did you not hear Jesus said they're going to arrest him? They're going to beat him. They're going to mock him. They're going to crucify him. And you want Jesus to do what? <laughs> Lord, can you do me a favor as if he hasn't done enough already? How many's ever been talking to somebody and you're just pouring out your heart to them and afterwards you can tell that it went boop? I mean, totally, that they weren't dialed in. They were clueless. What does it make you want to do? Whoa, whoa, wait a second. James and John say, Lord, that's all good, but can you do us a favor? How many know Jesus has taken care of their forever, and yet they're still asking for a favor? Look at what it says. This is hysterical. Jesus says, well, what's your request? Verse 36. Verse 37, they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on the right and the other on your left. I mean, come on, fellas. Really? Sit on your right, sit on your left. Jesus is about to die. Do you know how hard, how difficult, how dangerous his future is ahead of him? And you're only thinking about where you're going to sit in this whole thing? Look at what Jesus says, verse 38. You don't even know what you're talking about. How many of you know sometimes that we, we think thoughts of ourselves? We think uh, uh, um, we have ideas about ourselves that aren't necessarily accurate. Jesus said, you're talking, but you don't know what you're talking about. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. Oh, yes, we are able. Jesus tells them, you indeed will drink from my bitter cup, and you will be baptized with the baptism of my suffering. But I have no right. Let's stop right there. Jesus says, I have no right. Here he is, the son of God, and yet he's not focused on his rights. He's focused on his responsibility. We live in a country where all of us talk about our rights, but few people talk about the responsibilities that come with it. It's amazing to me how Jesus wasn't obsessed with his rights. Jesus was focused on his responsibility of doing the will of his Father. And Jesus said, I have no right to say who's going to sit on my right or sit on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. Now look at verse 41. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. You know why I think the other ten were upset at these two? Not because James and John were just acting out of the flesh, but I think they were upset because they felt that James and John were getting out a little ahead of them. 
How many know we don't like anybody getting out in front of us? Come on, can I have a better amen? How many know that you're in traffic and, man, it's bumper to bumper and that somebody is just begging to, somebody please give me a place. How many know we'll just look straight ahead? And you can feel, you can feel it, but you're going to look like this. Oh, I got to check something on my phone. Oh, look at that tree over there. Why? We don't want anybody. Now, you can get in, but somebody's going to let you in behind me. Why? Because I don't want you out in front of me, right? And what if you're the one needing the space? You kind of like roll your window down, just kind of arm out. Hey, hey, beep, beep, hey. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants anybody to get out ahead of them. And the other disciples were upset because they think, wait a second, James and John, they beat us to the punch. Those, those, see, it's, again, it's musical chairs. There's always more people than there are seats available. Man, and the disciples went in circles because they're fighting for that spot. So the other 10 are upset. Jesus calls a meeting, verse 42. I don't know if any of you parents have ever called a timeout and just huddled your family together. Have you ever had just a, a family meeting, a team gathering? Sometimes Rachel and I will get the kids together and say, okay, it's time for the Hamans to come together. We got to talk. Well, I, I got to remind you of who we are. We're the Hamans. I got to remind you of what we value. This is what we're about. Jesus does the same. He calls them together, verse 42, and he said, you know the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you... It will be different. Somebody say different. I love it. I think the body of Christ ought to be different from the spirit of this world. I think that what's inside of you is different than what's around you. I think that if we're going to be effective in this day and age, that we've got to embrace the spirit of Christ that makes us different. We're not going to walk like, act like, talk like, think like, do like everybody else. Why? We are different in order to make a difference. It doesn't mean that we're better than somebody, but we are different. We don't think like that. We don't do like that. Jesus said, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even I, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Come on, put your hands together. This is the scriptures. I used to wonder why Jesus repeated himself so many times in the gospels until I became a parent and found out I had to say it over and over and over and over so the kids will get it. And this is one of those episodes. And Jesus is having to retrain and reprogram some of the thinking of these men. You see, these disciples were all about chasing a position. And let me tell you what I found out about position. When you chase a position, it's easy to mistreat people. But when you value people, you never have to worry about a position. See, Jesus said the world is all about titles, but I'm handing out towels. And so this is a beautiful picture of Jesus the servant. He's trying to help the disciples, and he's trying to help you and I 
remember what this thing is all about. Now, if you're taking notes, there are three specific movements in this passage that I want you to jot down three thoughts. We say that history makers are note takers. And so I want you to write this down. Number one, write down sitting versus serving. Sitting versus serving. You see the disciples and you see Jesus and you see two opposing pictures. James and John were all about sitting. We want to sit at your right. We want to sit at your left. But Jesus wasn't occupied with sitting. He was preoccupied with serving. You see, when I'm sitting, the focus is me. But when I'm serving, the focus is you. And I believe that in the body of Christ, as believers, our focus shouldn't be what's going to happen to me. Our focus should be, Lord, you've saved me. Now what can I do to serve somebody else? Are you with me? Now, James and John here, they're asking for seats of prominence. And I don't think that they're talking about heaven. I think their thoughts are here on earth because they expected Jesus to eradicate the Roman Empire and to set up his government right there. And there on earth, they wanted places of honor and power. And Jesus was never about position. He was always about people. And so his focus wasn't on sitting. It was on serving. Can I tell you? They say, Lord, give, can you do us a favor? Do us a favor. Do us a favor. Let me tell you something about favor, church. Favor is never about status. It's always about service. Come on now. See, sometimes we say, Lord, bless me. Put favor on my life. And I pray that over you. But know this, when God favors you, it's not so that you can say, look at me. It's so that you can say, ooh, look at how good God is. And God will bless you. He'll give you favor. He'll put you in a position. I'm telling you, the favor of God will open doors that talent and ability never could. But once you walk through that door, favor is not about status, but it's about service. Why does God put favor on a church like this? Not so that we can say to everybody, look at us, but so that we can tell this community, look at him. Look at him. I'm telling you, if we'll embrace the purpose of favor, I think we would walk in it more and more. Favor, I mean, consider this. Joseph, if you you remember his story in the book of Genesis, and Genesis dedicates more more chapters to Joseph's story than anybody. It's amazing how favor was on Joseph everywhere he went. I mean, whether he was in the pit, whether he was in prison, or whether he was in palace, the palace, favor followed him everywhere he went. Now, favor put Joseph in a position to be the prime minister. But when he was reunited with his brothers, after years of separation, Joseph looked at his brothers and said, God has brought me to this position. Why? So that I could save you and your children and all of our family. Favor is not about status. It's about service. Can I have a better amen? You see, we're talking about serving today. Now, everybody wants to be called a servant, but ain't nobody want to be treated like one. Come on now. How many? A servant. What? A slave. What? Just a measly old servant. And Jesus is modeling something for his disciples that is turning their world upside down. And I pray that as a church, we're focused on what's important to God. It's not about prominence. It's not about position, but it is about people. And when we serve people, God will continue to promote and elevate us. You know what our motivation is to serve? Our motivation to serve is all about the Lord. In fact, I love what Paul said in Colossians 3. 
Here's one of his famous verses, Colossians 3.23. He said, work willingly. Everybody say willingly. Willingly. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for who? We're working for the Lord. You know what that tells me? That tells me that when I'm at work and I'm on the job, my performance is not unto my boss, but it's unto Jesus. If I'm a student and I'm at school and I'm sitting in that biology class, my study and my work ethic and and, and my performance, it's not unto that teacher, but it's unto the Lord. It means whatever you put your hand to, whatever you find yourself doing, do it unto Jesus. You know why? Because your reward comes from Christ. It doesn't come from your boss. It doesn't come from your teacher. It doesn't come from man, but it comes from the Lord. And so my motivation to serve, I'm not sitting at the table. I'm serving. Now listen, there's a time to sit at the table. But if all you do is sit at the table, come on now. If we sit at the table too long, what happens? The only thing that increases is our waistline. You see, the challenge with the modern church is we've been sitting at the table too long. God said, hey, there's a time to sit at the table, but then there's a time to get up from the table. You see, it's not about nutrition. It's about exercise. Jesus is saying, I have fed you, and I have fed you, and I've equipped you, and I've empowered you, and I've given you my word. Now get up from the table and get out there and do something with what I've given you. Are you with me? He's telling his disciples it's not about sitting, but it's about serving. You know what? And I think one of the best places to start serving, it's in the home. You see, sometimes it's easy to serve when everybody's watching. It's a little harder to serve when nobody's watching. You see, I can be God's man of the hour, his tower of power, too sweet to be sour. Up on this stage, ooh, man, I can serve the house. But how many know when I go home and there's a sink full of dirty dishes? Mm. Come on, brother Bible man, sister super Christian. I know we all want to cast out devils and walk in spiritual authority, but can you take authority over some dirty laundry and fold it in Jesus' name? Come on, somebody. Can you clean up the room? Can you, can you wash a few dishes? Can you wipe a behind? Come on, talk to me, parents. I think serving starts in the home. Sitting versus serving. You see, the devil wants you to be saved and just sitting on it. But Jesus says, no, no, you've been saved so that you can serve. I was talking to my dad the other day. He lives in Galveston. And uh, he lives on the island. And he's so proud of it. He calls it paradise. I'm like, call him up. Hey, Dad, what you doing? Just hanging out in paradise. Galveston is paradise. Lord, help us. <laughs> now, he loves it. He loves the island. It's his island. And uh, I said, Dad, what you doing? Where you at? Oh, I'm eating breakfast. Well, where are you eating breakfast at? His favorite place to eat breakfast is Whataburger. Whataburger on Galveston Island. He's in paradise, and he's eating breakfast at Whataburger. And I kind of thought that to be strange. It was a little odd. You know, every day he's at Whataburger for breakfast until one time I went to visit him, and Dad said, come on, let's go eat breakfast. I said, Dad, where are we going? He says, Whataburger. Walk into Whataburger. That place is hopping. I mean, there are people everywhere. And I didn't realize how, 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 how popular it was until I met the manager of the store of Whataburger on Galveston Island. She walked up in there. It's a large lady. She's got a strong personality. She's got some passion and charisma, and that girl can sing. 
And you know what she does? She sings in that restaurant. She starts belting out amazing grace. Dad and I are sitting there, and she belts out amazing grace. And she's bearing down on amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And everybody starts joining her. They're standing to their feet. I'm telling you, it was like a concert up in there. And I said, Dad, you got the Whataburger Tabernacle Choir right here. He's like, son, I told you, I love this place. I'm like, now I know why. It's not what they're serving, but it's how they serve it. You see, the Bible says in Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. Do you see, God has given us an assignment. He says, if you serve, there's joy. Come on, somebody. There's joy that's attached to serve. I'm telling you, I saw so many people yesterday at car prep, and they were serving with a smile on their face because I knew that joy was in their heart. And see, when you understand what you're doing and who you're doing it for, the motivation is not for a paycheck. It's not to impress a boss or for a man here on earth, but we're doing it unto Jesus because one day we'll stand before him and then he will reward our efforts in heaven for the things that we've done here on this earth in his name. Can I have a good amen? Amen. Sitting versus serving. Number two, we see in this passage, here's this dichotomy, this difference, uh, this contrast. We see comfort versus suffering. Comfort versus suffering. James and John wanted seats of honor so they could be comfortable in that position. But Jesus didn't talk about seats. He talked about suffering. He says, wait a second. Are Are you able to drink from the cup of suffering that I'm about to? Are you ready to be baptized with hard times and difficulties? Do you think you can step up to the plate? They said, oh, yes, we can. Oh, yes, we can. You know one thing that I'm discovering that that inhibits my ability to serve is my flesh. My flesh does not like to suffer. My flesh likes comfort. Your flesh likes comfort. Have you noticed how our life is centered around how we can make our experience more comfortable? Now, and there's nothing wrong with comfort in and of itself, but I tell you this, you will never experience God's best in the middle of your comfort zone. Sometimes God has to allow things to happen and make you uncomfortable to stretch you. To, to, to grow you. There is, there, there's a canvas of suffering that all of us will walk through. Now, our flesh doesn't want to suffer. My flesh loves to be spoiled. My flesh wants to be pampered. You know, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. It's kind of like the difference between cats and dogs, okay? A cat says, you love me, you care for me, you take care of me, I must be the boss. A dog says, you love me, you care for me, you, you provide for me, you must be the boss. How many know that, that God likes dogs more than cats? I'm sorry. Please don't send me any mean emails. Please don't. I like cats. They taste like chicken. Okay, anyway. I'm teasing. We love little Fifi, little Fluffy. But your flesh wants to be comfortable, wants to be convenient. How many know God's more interested in your spirit than he is your flesh? In fact, God says you got to crucify your flesh. 
you got to say no to your flesh. Your flesh doesn't want to hear your spirit say no. I'm telling you, they're in direct opposition. God says to his disciples, you're going to go through some suffering. You know, my flesh whines when it has to serve, but my flesh screams when it has to serve without recognition. It's okay for me to serve and people see it because I might get a little something out of it. But when I serve in secret, when I serve in private, oh, my flesh. Jesus said, when you serve, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In fact, what we do now in this culture is we serve and we take a selfie. Ooh. Y'all saw that? Hey, I'm serving. And Jesus said, well, you just lost your reward. Because guess what? We're working unto him and our reward is where? Oh, but our flesh doesn't want to hear that. Matt Chandler said this. He says, comfort is the God of our generation. Therefore, suffering is seen as a problem to be solved instead of a providence from God. Now, I know this is a tough word, and I'm not saying, you know, that I'm praying suffering on you. But I will tell you this. When you make a commitment to serve the Lord, suffering is a part of the deal. And I think that we do a disservice not to talk about suffering because Jesus spoke of it often. In fact, think about it. Think about his journey and how they treated him. Jesus said, if they did it to me and your followers of mine, expect the same for you. But, but here's the good news. They put me in a, in a grave, but three days later I came up. And so wherever you find yourself in life, maybe you're here today and you're in a season of suffering. The good news is this. You're not suffering alone. God's still writing the story. And if you'll suffer well, if you'll persevere well, you may have to suffer for the glory of God. But if that's the case, then so be it. Lord, I'll suffer for you. If somebody disapproves or criticizes or condemns or if somebody, if I've got opposition and then people making up things or lying or making things difficult for me, Lord, if I have to suffer for the kingdom, then Lord, let me suffer well. Of the apostle Paul, it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, in fact, before he had his conversion experience or right when he had his conversion experience, going from Saul to Paul, the Bible says in verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Now, let's stop right here. How many of you would love to be God's ambassador and stand before kings? That'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? But you know how, how Paul was the ambassador of the gospel message? Do you know how he stood before kings? In chains. That's how he got an audience with kings because he was a, a prisoner. Look at what the next verse says. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, you may see the glory, but you don't know the story. Paul walked through suffering. Jesus walked through suffering. You and I may walk through suffering, but we'll never suffer alone. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, and you're going to need to think about this, okay? Are you ready? Um, and you're going to need to marinate and meditate on this for a moment to really catch it. But there is a, a connection between suffering and succeeding, okay? Everybody's chasing success, and nobody wants suffering, but I want you to see how these two worlds come together. If you're suffering without succeeding, someone else will. But if you're succeeding without suffering, someone else already did. Are you with me? Think about that. Now, let me say that again. If you're suffering and you're not succeeding, I'm going to tell you, everybody's got to pay the price. 
If you're suffering but you don't see success, know this, that your suffering is going to create success for somebody else. Some of you are succeeding right now, and man, it's just amazing. I want you to know this, that success somebody else suffered for. And so Jesus is able to take your suffering and do something supernatural with it. He's telling his disciples, no, 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 don't chase seats of prominence. I want you to serve. Don't pad your own comfort. I want you to embrace suffering. Can I have a good amen? And then let me finish this passage, number three. Uh, the, the, The final comparison is this, temporary versus eternal. Temporary versus eternal. All the disciples could see what was what was right in front of them. But Jesus said this, I am the son of man, and I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And watch this, and to give my life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus was talking about eternity. He was talking about heaven. I know you guys are preoccupied and and consumed with what's here on earth. Jesus said, "I've, I've come from another place. I've got a kingdom from another world. And I didn't come here to play by the rules of earth. I came here to bring down the authority of heaven. And if you'll serve, don't worry about where you sit. If you'll serve first, don't worry about your comfort. If you'll embrace suffering here, I promise you there's something on the other side for you. There is an eternity of heaven and the presence of God Almighty available to you. See, those men were thinking temporarily. And Jesus said, nope. And it made me think about what we do here as a church. I'll tell you this. Big doors swing on small hinges. Don't ever forget that. Some of you believe in God to open big doors. Well, that door swings on a small thing called a hinge. Nobody looks at a door and says, wow, check out the hinges on that door. No, we don't do that. But if you want big opportunities, those things don't swing open unless there's a hinge that creates a pivot to open the opportunity. Hear me. Serving is a hinge. Why do we serve? Because it's a hinge that swings the gospel door open wide. The gospel is a massive door. But it won't be open unless you and I serve as the hinge to create kingdom opportunities. That's why you can pass out a bottle of water to somebody that's thirsty and the kingdom come down in that moment. That's why you can serve. All those ladies yesterday, placing value on them, you know, getting their nails done. It's amazing. These ladies getting up there, getting pampered, just getting cared for, getting massaged, getting their nails done. I walked in there yesterday. I'm like, hey. What, what color is going to work best on these nails? You know, how about purple and gold? I'm like, nah, Rachel's not going to go for that. Somebody came, one of the girls came to me and said, hey, there's a bottle of uh, nail polish, and I know you're the bishop of biceps. I just can't open it. Can you get this open for me? I'm like, never fear. I got this. Here I come to save the day. I start working that thing, working that through. Just give me a minute. Oh. Man, my reputation was at stake. Listen, I worked on that, that, that bottle of nail polish for five minutes. Could not get it open. Be right back. Walked out. Said, I'm going to bring it the first guy I can see. David Ray was the first guy I ran into. Like, David, try this. There's no way you can get this, but just try it. I said, sure. 
crack, opened it right up. I'm like, I loosened it. Don't be taking credit for that. I did all the work. Those ladies receiving ministry, some, I mean, an oil change, get their filter changed. Wait a second. Heaven's coming down now. I want you to know, there are a lot of great organizations out there that serve. But what makes the church different? I mean, thank God for Habitat for Humanity. Thank God for United Way. You know, thank God for all of these great organizations, the Red Cross. I mean, God bless all of them. But what makes the church different? We're not doing this just for now. We're doing this for somebody's forever. We're doing it in the name of Jesus. Hear my heart, church. Social justice without spiritual justice is no justice at all. You can give somebody a bottle of water and that may quench their thirst, but guess what? They got to have the living water. Feed somebody, a homeless man off the streets, give him a meal. But what happens if we feed his belly, but his soul is starving? You can build somebody's house, but what happens is Jesus wants to build his home inside of you. The church is different. We are different because we're not just thinking about what's now. We're thinking about what's forever. Jesus said, I've done this for you. I came into this world not to be served, but to serve others. And I'm going to give my life as a ransom. I'm paying a price for you. I'm going to suffer so that you can succeed. You see that? You see how this comes together? Amazing. You know, and and I'm going to close this way. And I had to share this story because Rick Otzen, Rick and Susan, amazing family in this church. Been coming to this church for, I don't know, 11, 12 years. And I first met Rick years ago I met him at a restaurant didn't know who he was but he introduced himself and bought my meal I thought man I like this guy hey let's go hang out what you doing tomorrow for lunch <laughs> but Rick and Susan have two kids Peter and Kevin and uh, Rick so passionate loves God loves his church and he had a passion for vehicles loves cars everything to do with cars I mean building cars rebuilding cars classic cars and so car prep was his all-time favorite event. It was his favorite outreach of all that we do. So for years, he faithfully served at car prep. And he and his wife, Susan, had made plans to move to Montana and got a beautiful home up in Montana. And he wanted to take the car prep idea here and not just do it once a year, but do it year-round up in Montana. Well, he got sick last summer. His body got eat up with cancer. We prayed and believed God for his healing. I remember sitting in his hospital room, and man, we just felt the presence of God so strong. We just felt heaven come down. We started singing, turn your eyes up on Jesus. Acapella, just he and I and Susan, and man, heaven visited us in that hospital room. Well, you know what? God saw fit to take him home. And he passed away, and in January, I did his funeral. And I heard so many stories of how many lives Rick had touched over the years. And they knew his love for cars, and they knew his commitment to the church. So instead of giving flowers, you know what they did? They gave money and wrote checks to Healing Place Church so that we could do car prep in honor of Rick Otzel. And do you know that yesterday, Susan and Kevin, they were traveling to Montana this weekend, but Peter, Rick's son, served with us yesterday and he stood in his dad's place 
and his father's legacy, his love for the house of God, and his commitment to serve others. Peter stepped up to receive that mantle, and I thought, what a beautiful picture. We prayed over Peter yesterday before we started that car prep. Now, we did all of that in the name of Jesus, but I thought, Rick, you're probably up in heaven looking down here on earth, and you've got to be so proud of your son, and your heart's got to be so full because you're up there, and you know that what's happening down here Something as small as a car prep, changing a car filter, changing somebody's oil, manicure, massage. It's a, it's a little hinge, but the gospel door swinging wide open so that what happens down here, it translates into what's going on up there because now is not forever. Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Do you receive that today? Come on, if you believe that, put your hands together this morning. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.